Welcome to week one of Advent. This is the time of year when we remember Jesus coming 2,000 years ago as we move into the Christmas season. This is also the time when we think about Jesus' coming in the future. That's why Advent's a season of anticipation. The first time Jesus came was as a baby with a life that, that led to the cross. The second time, he's coming as our conquering king who's going to bring heaven to earth. Since it's the Christmas season, it's a great time to sit and meditate on who this Jesus is and what does it mean to to be given salvation through him. The Apostle Paul, he worked through this, this same issue as one who was a persecutor of the church, who then came face to face with the risen Savior. Uh, Paul had to wrestle with what this meant for his own life. Paul came to the conclusion that Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough to justify him before God, and Jesus was enough as Paul walked through his life. Uh, Paul had, had it settled in his mind, but, but there were friends of his that still had a hard time understanding the simple but weighty truth of what it meant to live in Christ. Galatians chapter 2 presents two pictures of what it means to reverse the gospel. It's going to talk about legalism and hypocrisy, and, and when it moves it back to a works-based situation, and then one picture about what it means to truly follow Jesus. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to, to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now from those recognized as important, what they were once uh, makes no difference to me But because God, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter, Cephas, in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves 
are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ. Is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died for nothing. Look at what Paul tells them in verses 1 through 10. He's bringing them back to a moment when the respected church leadership made some decisions about the very issue they were struggling with in the Galatian church. Most commentators line this up with the Antioch dispute in, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul went to the Jerusalem church to talk about the added regulations being put on the Gentiles. I'm, I'm just calling it the Jesus plus movement. The Judaizers wanted to add the regulations of the law, specifically circumcision, to the requirements of salvation. What Paul knows is that when you start down the Jesus plus path, it's hard to do a reverse back to the pure and free message of the gospel and what that actually brings. And what I mean is we, we see this from experience, the experience of the, the nation of Israel. Once you add a rule, then your next course of action when things get complicated is to add another. And when that doesn't solve the problem, then you add another and another and another. And what you find is that you are now being crushed under a load that you were not meant to bear. So Paul in his letter to the Galatian church is saying, we need to nip this in the bud really quickly. We can't let this get out of control. So let me tell you about a time, he says, when, when uh, the church leaders in, in Jerusalem and I got together to talk about this circumcision thing. Paul says this, just like you, there was another church who had false teachers come into their midst. And he even uses the word to spy on us. He says to spy on us. And like the men you were listening to, they also were compelling our Gentile brothers, you guys, same as you guys, to get circumcised and for the church to follow the customs of the law. Well, we recognized this and decided to set off for Jerusalem to make sure that we were preaching the same message that they had received as well. He says, I even took Titus with me because he was a Greek and he himself was not circumcised. We were dead set on not submitting to what these false teachers had to say, but we wanted to go down to Jerusalem just to make sure. Uh, when we got there, uh, we met with those who were the highest up in the church. And guess what? Let me tell you what the leader said in chapter 2, verse 15. He says this, they added nothing to me. In fact, as we talked and they saw that I had been given the same commission as the rest of the apostles, just like the gospel uh, had, had gone out to our Jewish brothers and sisters, I was entrusted with the same message for the Gentiles. And Paul tells his audience that the one, the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. If you want to talk about God working, well, it was concluded that God was working in both our mission fields. They went as far as to, to give us the, the right hand of fellowship and agreed that we should continue our work with the Gentiles. James, John, and Peter recognized that our work was on the same level as theirs, and they acknowledged that we were equal partners in the ministry. Now, I could see Paul saying to the Galatians, you've been told that I'm an inferior apostle. I'm an inferior apostle that I'm not carrying the full message. 
I'm not telling you the whole truth. Well, tell you what, how about you go see James or Peter or John? You've heard of them, right? <laughs> if you need any further proof of the work that I did with you and all that I have asked you to do, then they will test, they will give you testimony about that. And by the way, he says in here, there, there's one more story that confirms the authority of my teaching and the message. And we find that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, starting at 11. But when Peter, when Cephas, that is, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This will make you sit up straight and listen. On what grounds would Paul have to condemn Peter? Big Peter, big man in the church, Peter. Well, he says, Peter came to Antioch to see what was going on in the growing church. And we were happy to have him. And when he got there, he saw the freedom that we were enjoying in our meals and our fellowship. We had both Jews and Gentiles sitting around the same table, laughing and talking and, and sharing with one another. And then Peter, he jumped right in. But, but when other men came representing James from Jerusalem, all of a sudden Peter's attitude and actions changed. He got afraid and he wouldn't sit at the table and eat with the rest of us anymore. He put on the old robes of religion and made a, a separation or distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. He went back to the old ways. I'll tell you what, it's even worse. It went, even as, it went so far as to have the other Jewish believers who had freely taken meals themselves to back away and neglect fellowship with their Gentile brothers and sisters. Well, Paul says, when I heard about this and saw this, I had it out with Peter in front of everyone. Peter had stepped away from the truth of the gospel. Now, did you ever grow up having your mom tell you that you need to eat everything on your plate? And when you go to someone else's home that you eat what you're served, right? Well, it's one thing to be honest with someone and say, you know what? I'm not supposed to eat this certain side item, all right? Maybe some a health reason. Or there's this certain thing that isn't really one of my favorites, but you know what? I'm happy to enjoy the rest of it. It all looks awesome. Thank you for having this and for preparing this for us, and I'm happy to enjoy this meal with you. It's another thing to get up from the table, remove yourself, because there's a disagreement about food. Peter was removing himself from the church fellowship because he felt a conflict because of peer pressure from some folks who came from back home. Peter, Paul says in verse 14, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? You sat, you ate, we were all equals around the table, but you gave in and you joined the side that said the rest of these friends and family, they were not full-blown uh, full followers of Jesus. I could see Paul thinking, Peter, you knew Jesus best, better than any of us. You walked with him for three years. You saw all of his teaching and witnessed all the wonderful things that he did. Peter, 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 what would Jesus do? Verse 15 starts, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is justified by the works of the law, uh, is not justified by the works of the law, excuse me, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus. Peter, we thought we were part of the elite we had a position as God's chosen people. We were his nation, the building ground for the promised Messiah. Going back to Abraham, we were part of the promised blessing for the rest of the world. You know, the one for the Jews and the Gentiles alike? If we, as God's chosen people, couldn't keep all of those commands, how in the world would you expect them to live like us? In fact, we both recognize that we couldn't be justified by our works, and so we needed to put our faith in Jesus Christ because he had the answers for us. 
Paul says, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. To be declared, declared righteous, to be justified, is to be cleared of all charges. We are innocent before God. It's the direct opposite of being condemned. And some people don't feel comfortable with the idea of complete justification. On the surface, we do. We certainly love the idea of not having all of our sins count against us. But then we start to think about that freedom. And we start to say, well, whoa, whoa, what if? What if someone says that they love Jesus, but they, they've lived a life uh, that's not consistent with faith or what it's supposed to be like? What if they do things or they've done things that we aren't comfortable with? What if they actually do things that look like sin in our eyes? One of the arguments being made to Paul is that if we throw out the requirements of the law, then how do we know how to live? If we only focus on justification to get into God's family, won't we have to worry about people living however they want to live? It sure looks like that when we look at the Gentiles. How do we deal with that? If Christ is responsible for our justification, then is he responsible for how we live, including our own sin, they're saying? So, what would you say to that? Is Christ a promoter of sin? And Paul says, absolutely not. Paul in no way is going to encourage sin or make the claim that Jesus is behind our sin. Verse 18 says, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. I am responsible for my sin. The one who goes back to the old, he is the one who is sinning. But but that, that's not even the emphasis of this letter. That's not the problem here. Uh, you, I'm actually going to talk to you, he says, about the walking with the Spirit later on. A life that's about following God and not following our own sinful desires. But the first, first thing we need to get really clear is that salvation only comes through Jesus. We were living in our sins. That's on us. That's on us. We were, we're supposed to feel the consequences of that. And, and the consequences, they're not good. To put it bluntly, it's death. We were dead. But Jesus, Jesus, Paul says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, we are on a new path, and it's because Jesus decided to take on the penalty for our sin. And just as he was crucified, we were crucified with him. Our guilt was nailed to that cross along with Jesus. How can we add anything else to that? In this section of scripture, Paul is speaking about two things that will bring down the church, legalism and hypocrisy. Legalism is, is working in our own power, probably according to our own rules, to try to earn favor with God. Hypocrisy is, is knowing what is right, but then doing something else. Both are dangerous sides of the spectrum to be on. Paul, like Jesus, is calling out those who thought they had it all together when it came to their own relationship with God. The, the ones who say, do it our way because it's the only way. And we see from this section of scripture that that path is a trap. On one hand, you have a group who says you really can't be saved without all of this other stuff. And on the other hand, you have Peter in this one instance preaching both justification by freedom and justification by the law through his actions. And that's a recipe for confusion and division in the body of Christ. It's no wonder Paul had to do so much clearing up about what the gospel message actually was. Bottom line, bottom line, we are either free because of Jesus' work or we aren't. 
And if you try to put on the burden of self-righteousness, then you're really just casting God's grace aside. And if that's the case, Paul says in verse 21, then Jesus died for nothing. Now, you will never hear me say that we should stop doing good works. So we just spent a few months going through the letter by James that talks about a life of good works. But what is the reason and where is the source for the works? I said it once before and I'll say it again. We received the gift of salvation and our lives are now a thank you note for that. Thank you notes don't try to repay or try to even one-up the gift. They're not meant to square a debt that we might feel that we are, we're, we're carrying. Thank you notes are a reflection of our gratitude for the gifts. If you're looking for good works to help you climb the stairs to God, well, that's a stairway that, that goes nowhere because Jesus, he leveled the playing field. He, he leveled it all for, for all of humanity. There is nothing extra we have to do or get to make our salvation complete. Don't let anyone tell you that you need certain special spiritual gifts to confirm your salvation. Don't look to anyone else to bestow the power of God on you or give you more of their spirit because you don't have enough. Don't let anyone tell you that you need a new filling of the spirit or else your salvation isn't secure. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians and in, in chapter 1 verse 13 he says this, In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. All of those promises and coachings that come from places like the prosperity gospel or the new apostolic reformation, they're Jesus plus movements. And they are really roads that lead away from the pure message of the gospel. There's an excitement behind them because they're flashy and there are a lot of promises. Uh, things like money and power and dominion and, and healing and, and being taken to a higher plane with your spirituality. By like all the works that we do on our own, they're going to disappoint us. They're going to confuse us and they're ultimately going to leave us empty because when we try to top Jesus... What we are saying in the words of Paul is then Christ died for nothing. Think about it this way. When we add anything to the gospel, we are saying that Christ's death wasn't enough. And now we're right back to a works-based religion, which Paul reminds his audience that God's people couldn't even keep the law. And so how in the world would we expect anyone else to be able to, to do that any better? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So when we talk to our friends and they have questions about this Christianity thing, we tell them about Jesus, his life, his promises, the cross, the resurrection, and that he did all of that for them as well. We don't saddle them with rules. We don't saddle them with making immediate lifestyle changes before they can come to Jesus. We don't confuse them with, with our preferences or our routines and, and our practices. We give them the hope that only comes through Jesus, and we say that that hope was meant for them as well. When they decide to follow Jesus, then the transformation starts to happen, and the Holy Spirit begins working in their lives. But this is a season of hope. This is the season where the world is focused on the birthday of Jesus, even if they aren't focused on Jesus' birth. What a wonderful time to share the good news that we have experienced through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, and now our security because he is king. He is ruler. Let me close by asking you a few questions. Number one, what are the things that you might be adding to the simple message of the gospel? 
Is there anything that you're adding? Number two, in what ways might you be trying to generate a life that's pleasing to God when in reality God already sees you through the lens of Jesus? Question number three, if the gospel is a simple message, then maybe we need to be more focused on simplicity. In what simple ways could you share the love of Jesus this holiday season? Lord, we come to you. We thank you again for the powerful work that you did on the cross and then uh, the, the security we have because, because you were raised from the dead and you raised us with you. We thank you for that. We praise you. We, 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 we give you the glory, the honor that you are due. And we ask, Lord, that as we are walking through life, that we would not add anything to that, that we would not try to add anything for ourselves or for others, Lord, that, that we would follow you, that we would be mindful of what the Spirit is, is telling us, how he's directing us, uh, uh, the path that you're having us walk down. And may this season be a season where we, we recognize your gift, we reflect on your gift, and we go out and share the gift that you have so freely given this world. We ask for your power, we ask for um, uh, clarity of, of speech. We ask for boldness to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we come because of you, because uh, of your holy name, your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.